Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So as Pastor Larry mentioned, we're starting a new series this week, and it's entitled Bringing Sexy Back. And probably some of you have the question, back from where? I was not aware that it had gone missing. And you're right about that. It's probably more around us more than ever before at any time in human history. I think you can't, can't watch a TV program. You can't watch a, a movie um, without seeing some kind of suggestions or outright acts um, going on. You can't, you can't stand in the line at the checkout at the grocery store for crying out loud without being bombarded with it, okay? And don't even get me started about the World Wide Web, all right? It is all around us. We're just bombarded by these messages all the time. The problem is that we are letting our sexuality and we are letting our understanding and our beliefs about sex be, to be shaped by a culture that has no idea what it's talking about. It really doesn't. If you watch TV, you would be under the impression that everybody is jumping into everybody else's bed. I mean, sir, I, read a, I read a statistic this week that... that on TV, there is more reference and more uh, innuendo and more suggestions and more depictions of unmarried people having sex than married people having sex by, an, by a factor of 24 to 1. That's what our culture talks about. So when we're talking about bringing sexy back, what we're talking about is bringing sexy back to what God originally intended. That we need to understand why God created us this way and what is intention what what what's the purpose of all of this and why did he set these boundaries and guidelines for it and it really comes down to what you believe about God because some people have this idea that God is this grumpy old man sitting up in heaven that doesn't like people doesn't want anybody to have any kind of fun and so he makes up all these rules to tell us we can't do that you got to believe that God is a good gracious Loving, giving God. And he has given us this incredible gift. And he knows how it's supposed to work because he created it. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about that. This morning, we're going to start at the beginning because that's a good place to start. So if you want to take out your Bibles, if you don't have one, there might be one on the seat next to you. We're going to turn to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Chapter 2. And let me just say, as we, before we get into this, if you're a student here this morning, if like you're a high school or middle schooler, and you're thinking about, you know, I, I, don't, I, you know, I, I took health class. I don't need to know anything more about this. Um, trust me, there is more to it than what you're getting in health class. And, and, and it's really important because you're at an age right now where you are making decisions that will shape your morals and your values for years to come. And it's vitally important that you, you have a good, solid basis for that. And if you're a single adult here, and you're into the dating scene, and it's just like, you know, hey, don't tell me. I, I know I got this all under control. Listen, listen. The choices you are making right now, you will carry with you into the future. Because everybody thinks right now is just about now. But the right now is the past you're going to worry about in your future. <laughs> And, and, and people sometimes think, well, yeah, 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 yeah. When I find the right person, when I get married, then, then, then you know, in the future sometime, then all my past is going to go away. Don't you believe it? Because your past, you will carry with you the rest of your life. Too often we make decisions in the heat of the moment, in the now, 
that we have no idea how that's going to affect us in the future when it becomes our past. And if you are married here, this is for you too. Because if you think, okay, well, I'm married, you know, I got it down. Trust me, there is probably more to it than you think. And this is an ongoing learning experience. And I'm a firm believer in practicing what I preach. So, I've been practicing. No. (laughs) Too much information, I know. So, Acts uh, Acts, Genesis chapter 2. I'm turning red now. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he had brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She will be called, whoa, man. (laughs) For she was taken out of man. And that, and here's the important point, and that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This passage is absolutely foundational to our understanding of sex, of marriage. And wherever you are at and wherever you have been, this is what you need to understand. There are some things here that you've got to understand. And you've got to take this, like I said before, with the belief that we have a good and loving God who has graciously given us this incredible, incredible gift. But he has also set boundaries for it for our benefit. Not because he's a spoil sport, not because he doesn't want us to have fun, but he knows what he intended. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. What did he intend? Because there is an intentionality about this. There is a purpose to it. There is meaning to it. So bringing Seki back to its original intent starts right here. We've got to understand that sex has an intention. God's intention for sex is intimacy. That's why he created it. For intimacy, the very first crisis in the whole creation story. You read through Genesis 1 and 2. Every time God creates something, he says, it was good. And then he created the next day, and it was good. And he created, and it was good. And the first crisis, if you will, the first not good that's ever mentioned in Scripture, before sin, he says, it was not good that man should be alone. Wasn't good to be isolated wasn't good to be lonely. And so God did something about that. Now, he didn't create three drinking buddies in Monday night football. Because <laughs> that didn't solve the problem. That wouldn't solve the problem. And he didn't just give him more stuff to do so he would be distracted and not think about his loneliness. He didn't do that either. And he didn't say, 
get over it. <laughs> Put on your big boy pants and move on with your life, you know. No, he said, there's a problem here. In fact, there was a problem that God intentionally created. God created the problem because he had a perfect solution. But I think this, and this is just the KJV, the King Ken Jensen version. <laughs> I believe that God did that so that Adam would understand what loneliness really is like. What it meant to have something missing from your life. Because he had all the creation all around him and even had this perfect relationship with God. But something was missing. And so God created woman. And he brought them together. God solved the problem that he himself created. And it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Now, that's not just a physical thing. It is talking about intimacy. Intimacy, that inmost part of me. That in every way, shape, and form, physically, emotionally, passionately, spiritually, becoming one. And that is God's design. That is God's intent for sex. Within the confines of marriage, it is meant to establish and develop intimacy so that they would become one flesh. The old King James Version says, cleave to his wife. And the idea is that they are so closely connected that you cannot tell where one leaves off and the other begins. And sometimes people say things like, well, I don't want to get married because I'm afraid I'm going to lose myself. Listen, that's not such a bad thing. You could lose some things. It would be okay, you know. But what you gain, what you gain is intimacy. That word, that Hebrew word has to do with just being so united, one flesh. In fact, it's actually like super glued. And I want to kind of give you an idea of what that looks like. A blue paper and a pink paper. It is about being glued together. Oh, I'm going to run out of glue. It is being so united together that you become one. that you can't tell where one leaves off and the other begins. It's like a a recreation. That's God's intent. The big O in sex is oneness. (laughs) Because that's God's design. It's intimacy. Intimacy. Um, I need somebody. Charlie, would you help me out here? Would you hold on to this for a minute? Don't do anything with it. Just hold on to it for me, please. That's God's design. God's design is intimacy, and that's the whole purpose behind sex. Now, it is such a, Tim Keller puts it this way, a union so deeply profound that they virtually become a new single person. Sex is perhaps the most powerful, God-created way to help you give your entire self to another human being. He brought them together. And not just for procreation. And sometimes in the church, that's kind of been taught. 
You know, it's kind of like, well, the intention for sex is procreation. And God made it kind of pleasurable to make sure that we would be motivated to be fruitful and multiply, okay? (laughs) But that's not true. God created us for pleasure. And it it is meant to be a pleasurable experience designed by God. But it's not just about procreation and it's not just about pleasure. It's about intimacy, Two becoming one. God created humans in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. Very good. It's a bringing together and uniting of each other on the soul level. It's about intimacy. Intimacy Intimacy is into me see. (laughs) It's that part of me that nobody else gets to see. That who I am that I so carefully have protected myself from, everybody else harming. It's that part of me that stands behind the image that I want people to believe about me. (laughs) And all of us do that. It's about intimacy. Now, here's the thing with intimacy, and this is the other thing you're going to need to understand. Intimacy always requires vulnerability. Intimacy always involves vulnerability. Because that into me see, that part of me that I don't let anybody else, I will only do that. I will only open up in that way with someone that I trust. Because it's risky. I make myself vulnerable. I let someone so deeply into my life that they know me like no one else. Scripture says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, naked and unashamed is about more than just not having any clothes on. It is about an openness with each other and a full sharing of life together, emotionally, physically, spiritually it's a full opening up that there was that kind of a relationship between Adam and Eve and there was no shame about it because it was full acceptance and we don't even know what they looked like so it wasn't just physical (laughs) it was a complete vulnerability vulnerability that's what it speaks to scott peck put it this way he said sex is the closest thing that many people will ever come to a spiritual experience because in that we lose ourselves there is a release in that moment in which we are totally fully vulnerable and nothing held back there's a vulnerability about that and intimacy takes that If you hold something back, you miss the intimacy. Song of Solomon, which you should read someday. Symbolism might be a little hard to get through because it's old Hebrew symbolism. But let me just read to you just a section. Song Song of Solomon, chapter 4. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes. Your love makes me happier than wine. Your lips are as sweet as honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. Think about that one a little bit. 
speaking to an intimacy and an openness and a pleasure with each other. Nothing held back. See, it's never just sex. And that's what our culture would tell us. It's just sex. Don't mean anything by it. It's just physical. Listen, it's not just physical. And and, let me kind of put this delicately, but think about this. If sex is just a physical thing, why is it so difficult for people to recover from a sexual molestation in their past? Why can't they just get over it? If it's just physical, why don't they get over it so as easy? Because it's not just physical. If, it's just, if sex is just physical, why is it so difficult to recover from a rape or any kind of sexual abuse? The reason is because it goes down to the core of our being. It is never just physical. It is never just sex. Don't mean anything by it. It's just a friend with benefits. There's no such thing. No such thing. And when we say it's just sex, what we are doing is we are dehumanizing it. We are diminishing it. We are belittling it. And basically what we are saying is, when we say things like that, is it's just about me and my pleasure and my gratification. That's selfish. If you say it's just physical, then you're just selfish and it's not about caring for somebody else, and it's not about intimacy. It's just about your own physical gratification. And the trouble is that even if you approach it that way, it's not true. It's not true. It's not about getting. It's about giving. And that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy, not himself, seeking to satisfy his wife. And the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not the place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is the decision to serve one another. That's the message paraphrase. And it just gets it so right. Because that's what it is. It's not about getting. It's about giving. It's about intimacy. And intimacy always involves vulnerability. And here's why marriage becomes so important. Because for intimacy and vulnerability to happen, there has to be a commitment. There has to be a commitment. Because I will not take that risk of vulnerability unless I trust somebody. And at the beginnings of a relationship with somebody that you don't really, really know and you won't really know for a number of years... There's got to be something there to build on. There's got to be a foundation. And that's what the marriage vows are. And sometimes people say things like, well, it's just a piece of paper. We love each other. We don't want this piece of paper to get in our way. You don't know love. You don't know love. Because love is not just the feelings that you have here and now. Love is a commitment. Love is a promise. Love is dedication. It's the promise of commitment that says, I will be here regardless of how I feel. Because feelings come and go all the time. 
all the time. They come, they go, they come back, and they go, and they come back, and they go. And there is this ebb and flow like the waves of a seashore that are always constantly moving. But the commitment says, I am here no matter how I feel. I don't know how I will feel tomorrow. I don't know how I will feel 10 years from now. I don't know how I will feel 30 years from now. But this I know, I'm here. I'm committed. You can trust me. 35, almost 36 years ago now, I made a commitment to my wife. I will tell you today, I am more in love with my wife than I've ever been in my life. After 36 years, I am more in love with her than ever because I made a commitment. Because she made a commitment. Because in all honesty, I didn't always feel that way. And I never said this, but if you ask her, she would say, there were times she said, I don't know why I'm with this character. (laughs) I never felt that way. (laughs) But she did. I know, because she's told me. (laughs) Talk about vulnerability. But we made a commitment to each other. And one of the things in that commitment is we said divorce will never be an option. So we're going to have to figure this out. We're going to have to work at this. I am so glad we did. See, that's, that's what the marriage vows are all about. It's not a piece of paper. It's not even a contract. I, I do this when, when I talk in premarital counseling. I tell people, I said, understand, this is not a contract. It's something much more important than that. You see, a contract, we can come to an agreement on something, and we can mutually decide something, and we can draw up a contract, but built into the contract is an escape clause. Built into any contract, because though we might trust each other, and we say we're going to do this for the, the reason we draw up a contract is that if you don't live up to your end of the bargain, I have an out. If I pay you, if I contract to have you do some work on my house and you don't perform the work, I don't have to pay you because that's what the contract says. And if you work for me and I don't pay you, you can sue me because you promised you would. That's the deal. We made a contract. We agreed on it. We were all together in this decision. We decided together we were going to do this. But what we built into the contract is if you don't do your part, I don't have to do mine. That's not marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It is a solemn vow before God. And that's different. Covenant is the way that God deals with us. God didn't make a contract with us. He made a covenant. He said, I will forgive you of your sin. I will pay the price. I'll take it on my shoulders because you didn't live up to your end of the bargain. But I'm going to carry it anyway. And I'm going to forgive you. And you're going to fall again. And I'm still going to forgive you. And you're going to give up on yourself, but I'm not going to give up on you. Because I'm in this for good. And that's what you do when you marry somebody. You don't just sign a contract. You don't just sign a piece of paper. You make a covenant. And there's two parts to that. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But in those marriage, there's two parts to this. First, you are asked a question. 
before God. These are the questions I'm going to ask you. Will you, John, take Mary to be your wife? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, keeping only to her as long as you both shall live? That's the question that I ask. That's the question I ask. Before God, I'm asking you this. Are you making this commitment? Because this is the commitment we're asking you to make here. That's what these vows are all about. Will you do that? Will you make that promise? I will. I do. Before God, we're asked the question. And we say, yes. But then we turn to each other. And we recite vows. I can. (laughs) Take you, Betty. (laughs) (laughs) To be my wife. To love you. To honor you. To comfort and keep you. For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, sickness and in health, keeping only to you. So long as we both shall live. See, there's no escape clause in that. There's no out, there's no protection for me. I make that decision. And I make that solemn vow so that she knows it's just you and me, babe. And the only thing that will ever cause this to be null and void is if one of us dies. (laughs) Because that's the promise. And if you don't have that promise, how can you truly make yourself vulnerable? How can you dare take that risk? Why would you want to take that risk without that promise? See, the promise is that even if one of us is acting like a jerk, that would be me. (laughs) We're still here together. And we're going to work at this thing. We're going to figure this out. We're not going to stop working at it. We're just going to keep working and keep working and keep working. See, the truth of the matter is you don't marry one person. You marry a whole lot of persons. (laughs) Because time and children and life and age brings all kinds of changes And I've known so many couples who made a vow to each other, but what they did was they poured themselves into their kids. And their kids grew up, went off to college, found mates of their own, got married and moved out of the house, and they're all on their own. And they look at each other, and they wonder, who is this stranger sleeping in the bed next to me? Because they didn't fulfill the vows and the promises that they made. 
And, and this is why, this is what I want you to take away here. This is why it is so important if you are married that you are constantly working on your marriage. That you are constantly taking the risk of vulnerability that you are when your spouse, listen to this, when your spouse makes herself or himself vulnerable, that you guard that with your life. Because if you don't, you do damage to that person on a deep, deep level. That's why marriage matters. That's why it matters. That's why those vows matter. That's why it's not just sex. That's why it's not just physical. That's why it's so important. Now, Charlie, I asked you to help me a little bit early. Would you come on up here, bring the paper? Here's what I'd like you to do. Come on up. (laughs) Take the two pieces of paper apart. Be a little more careful, will you? (laughs) It's not. Thank you. Because you see, sometimes people say, you know what? I wouldn't drive a car without test driving it first. And I wouldn't buy a pair of shoes unless I walked in them a little bit and see if they're comfortable. How do I know it's going to work out? Maybe we should just live together instead. I'm doing no better than you did. Because this is what happens. And just living together doesn't make the separation any easier. Because you're giving yourself. And you didn't do it the right way. But because you joined yourselves together in a way that unified you, thinking it was just sex or it was just a trial, and then we'll see there's still a little bit of you left with her and a little bit of her left with you, and you're both damaged because of it. Doesn't make it any easier, makes it harder. Makes it harder. Because you gave yourself to somebody without any promises. Why would you give your body to somebody who is not willing to give you their life? Why would you do that? It just means damage down the road. See, it goes against your very being, your very essence, the way God created you to give a part of you so intimately without the promise and the commitment of reciprocation. And then what happens over time is you keep doing that and the ability to have true intimacy gets harder and harder and harder because what you got to do mentally is you got to numb yourself a little bit. And that just makes it harder down the road. God's design is something very, very good. But it is designed for intimacy that comes from vulnerability that can only truly, truly be built on the promise of covenant 
And God knows that. And that's why he says this is the way it's supposed to work. And you can do it your own way. You can make that decision. But just understand. Just understand. It's going to do you more harm than good in the long run. See, it's about giving myself. And in giving myself, I gain true intimacy. And that's why Paul wrote, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit to your, husband, to your husbands as you do to the Lord in trust, in faith, in full wholehearted giving. And he goes on, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in unconditional, unqualified, self-sacrificing love. Because that's the way it's meant to work. And sometimes we think if I give myself, then what do I get out of it? What you get is what God intended all along. Intimacy. It's the covenant that gives us the security and the vulnerability and the intimacy that we need. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 